Well, let me start that again. Welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. And to create a world where racial equity is the norm, I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We start each show by doing a meditation, and I share with you that the reason why we do that is because this work of dismantling racism can create um, many thoughts and emotions within us that are uncomfortable, that sometimes create anxiety, just create a range of emotions, and we need to have a way of centering ourselves. And often I start out with having you to find your breath. Today, I want to also do something that I've done on a couple of shows before, is read a meditation to you from my book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. I began each chapter of the book with a meditation. One, because as I said, it is very important for us to center ourselves if we are going to do this deep work of changing the status quo. But I also do it because I believe that dismantling racism is a sacred commitment. It really involves us going into a place that's higher than ourselves to do this work, to understand why we do this work and that we're connected to one another and that we're connected to something greater than ourselves. So I want to share with you the meditation that is before chapter seven of the book. And I invite you, if you would, to just ground yourself as always to find your breath and take a big breath in and just hold it for a second and then to release that breath slowly and then to find your natural rhythm of breathing where you will find your sacred intelligence, that part of you that manifests the best part of you. And it helps you to help others to manifest their greatness. So just breathe in and out, connecting with your divine wisdom. And I invite you to hear these words. Limitless, expansive, creative, and evanescent one. This world can seem so vast and the problems and the tasks before me can be overwhelming. But when I remember that you are me and I am you, I embrace my capacity to create and be the change I want to see in the world. When I engage in personal transformation, the way unfolds for me to shift my family, community, and the world. I don't have to take on everything all at once. I simply need to take one step at a time touching one life at a time, or changing one structure at a time. And each move will impact how the world turns. So let me not lose hope, but rather expand my awareness, expand my thinking, activate my creativity, and celebrate the unlimited possibilities that reside within me. May I greet each day with joy, exuberance, and eagerness. May I see the countless ways to use my gifts to manifest greatness within myself, my home, and beyond. May I then be motivated and encouraged to soar above complacency, procrastination, fear, 
overwhelm or whatever binds me to share these gifts with the world. In gratitude, I say thank you. And so it is. Ashe and amen. I am often asked the question of how do I recognize and how do I respond to racism? Racism is something that's a part of the fabric of not just this country, but across the world. And before my guest comes on today, we're going to actually be talking about how insidious racism is throughout the world because she hails from France. And so we're going to be talking about this idea of wrestling with the complexities of racism. But here's what I want to offer to you. If you want to begin to recognize racism and how it shows up, I simply invite you to start asking the question, what am I noticing? What is happening in my immediate environment? What is happening in my community? Where are, for instance, the people of color? Why are they absent from certain situations and not others? These are similar things that I talked to you about before, but begin to look at the tapestry. If you're watching a movie, what are you noticing in that movie? What are you noticing about the stereotypes that are in that movie? What are you noticing about the way people show up? It's really about becoming aware and then asking questions after you are aware. What do I need to know that I don't already know? We can't go into a situation assuming that we know everything that there is to know. Even if we've done this work for years, I learn new things all the time. But it's really about the questioning. And then once you ask one question, more questions will begin to unfold for you. And then when you're asking those questions, begin to look for patterns. Because we might see something that happens and we'll say, is that racist? There is a, a sitcom that I absolutely love. And it no longer comes on the air in prime time. But I've gone back and I've started watching, um, just streaming it. And I knew that these things were happening at the time that I was watching the sitcom. As a matter of fact, it was something that I gave to my students to analyze when I was teaching a course. And they started pointing out all of these things about the sitcom, the ways in which it was very, uh, it had a lot of stereotypes in it. And so I'm noticing as I go back through the sitcom, just how much the sitcom talks about a person based on where they come from in the world and based on their accent. And they did it in a comedic way, but what it actually did was it spoke to the various ways that we do that in our world throughout. So sitcoms have a funny way of doing that, right? They bring laughter to what we see every single day. 
But we must be aware and understand that what folks are laughing at can also be something that causes pain to other people. So what do we do with it? Perhaps it's brought out on the sitcom to make you aware of what you do so that you can change your behavior. The problem is when we laugh at it, we may not see the seriousness of it. So I just want to invite you to start recognizing what you see in the tapestry that is surrounding you. And then once you see what's happening immediately, then it's far reaching. I want you to start paying attention to what are you thinking about when you encounter someone from a different race? What are your automatic thoughts about them? You know, I, people always say, I don't see color, which there's a danger in not seeing color or believing that you don't see color because then you don't recognize people's differences and you think the world should operate based on one standard, which is usually whiteness. It is so insidious, this idea of white being supreme. So if we want to pay attention to what's going on around us, it will help us to figure out how do we wrestle with the complexities of racism? How do we begin to confront ourselves about what we see, what we do in response to what we see? I know that it's not always easy for you. And that's why I'm offering on July 27th, a course on a webinar, not a course, a one and a half hour webinar on how to recognize and respond to racism. It's a free webinar. I want you to join me so that we can have more and more conversations about recognizing and responding to racism. I know it's not an easy process, but when we have one another to walk this journey with together, it makes it a lot easier. I absolutely love the fact that today we're going to be talking about racism and how it shows up across the world because all too often I hear people say, well, we don't have that problem in our country. Even countries of color, I will hear people say, it's not about color here, it's more about class. But I bet you if they took a deep, deep look, they would see that the people of the darker hue, even in countries of color, are treated very differently than people with lighter skin. And then what happens is when those people from other countries, if they happen to have lighter skin and they are of color, they notice when they come here how differently they're treated as well. So it's something that we all need to pay attention to. And around the world, you know, there's this idea of anti-Blackness. Colonialism has and continues to be the fuel for the global economy at the expense of people of color. I will never forget in one of the graduate programs I was in, and there was a, a woman who was my little sister in the program. She came from another country. And she said to me, when I asked her what, what was the opinion of people of color from her country, she said, oh, my mother told me, don't talk to Black people when I come to this country. And yet, it's been Black people who've been more friendly to me than other folks and who've embraced me. And so today, I'm so delighted that uh, we have a London native who now lives in uh, 
France, Dr. Allison Palmer, who will be joining us after the break, because we're going to discuss the global and the social impact of colonialism and the intersection with race. We're going to explore how white liberal feminist perspective from a personal point of view and belief systems and behaviors can fundamentally continue a racist legacy. And so I'm delighted that she's joined us today because really it's going to be more of a discussion. We're going to just dig in and um, see where the conversation goes today and talk a little bit about her journey. But I do want to introduce Dr. Allison Palmer to us. She is a business coach who partners with courageous women who really want to change the world. Um, She has supported thousands of women to bring their message to the world, and she's committed to co-creating transformation through both what we share and how we share it. She is so passionate that she does these online summits, which I've been a part of, and she'll be talking about one of those that's coming up uh, soon. And so she is an award-winning author, creative, life dancer, and mom. And again, she lives in France. So Dr. Allison, welcome to the show. I'm so delighted to be here, Carolyn. I'm looking forward to this very much. So when we come back, we are going to just jump in and dig into this conversation of colonialism, but we really need to take a break right now. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
back today with my guest, Dr. Allison Palmer. Again, Allison, welcome to the show. And I really want to get started with you are now living in France, but you grew up in London. So talk to me a little bit about your upbringing and how colonialism fit into your upbringing a bit. Yeah, sure. I'm delighted to do that. Um, So just to correct you, okay, I I spent a long time living in London in the UK, but I grew up 100 miles west of there um, and spent all my formative years there. And it's in a town called Cheltenham. And uh, it's, um, it's an incredibly beautiful place, but it is it has a strong colonial legacy. It is predominantly white. And when I lived there, it was, you know, that was like 99.9% white middle-class people who were very aware of, um, that they were, felt that they were very special in the world. Um, And that's what I kind of grew up in. With all of that coming in, there was a neighboring town. There was only two big towns in the whole area. The other town was looked down upon by the town I lived in. And in that town, that town had a dock. So it was, it actually grew up as um, around the boats. And a large part of that was slavery. In fact, a few years ago, when there was a big riot there, um, oh no, that was that was in another town. In fact, which had a similar a similar um, history, but I'll just share with you about it because it's kind of the same kind of experience that this other town Gloucester had. So the town Bristol that I'm going to share with you, which was just a little bit further out in another area, they there was a very important white man. Who, whose wealth came from plantations with slaves. Um, and he put a lot of money into developing Bristol. There's massive statue of him by the docks. Mm. And I had no idea about his past at all. I knew the name, I was very familiar with it. It was just, it's an integral part of that particular city. And during the, 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 demonstrations about racism people decided to topple that particular statue and it went into the harbor or the dock down there as you know saying no enough of this we're not going to celebrate this anymore now actually I just to um, to tell you what happened the people who did that were caught on camera it was one of those moments that fills you with complete joy and, and amazement that this is happening but those people were then prosecuted and that was kept very low key. Um, So it didn't draw much attention, but this is what I grew up in. I grew up in this, this very, it was, it was so racist without any awareness of being racist. Um, (laughs) So, so it was a very strange place to grow up in. There was, it, it was very um, insular and very protective of, well, we, it, it was so colonial, it's not true. We are so privileged and we have all of this and we're not going to let anybody in and we're not going to be criticised and we're not certainly not ever going to look at ourselves and start mm. reflecting upon this. So that is actually the situation that I grew up in. 
Mm. When I was old enough, I did run away um, and, and went to London so that I could actually experience what life was really like. And that was a completely different story. Um, you know, anybody who's been to London, possibly not in the tourist areas, but if anybody's lived there at all, it is such a diverse place in every sense that you can think of. And mm. it is so rich because of that. There's, there's so many possibilities and there's so many um, opportunities to explore what we have come to consider with our with our belief systems as otherness and, and break that down. Yeah, so so there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And this 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 idea that, you know, here's the statue of a person who enslaved folks, right? And it was something that was celebrated. That's very similar to what happens here and that we've seen a lot of statues coming down. And even sometimes we as people of color can say, oh, it doesn't bother me to see that because we have gotten so used to it. I mean, I think about the Confederate flag. I grew up 15 minutes from a university where their name, their their mascot is the rebel and their the Confederate flag flies all throughout that town. Never once did it bother me. Or did I even think about the significance of that representation? Because I knew where I stood. I knew who I was. I knew what the South was like. But nevertheless, when we see those things, kind of like what you're saying here, we see those things and then we operate within that system. Because when we think about it, it hasn't been that long ago where uh, people were enslaved, right? It it was uh, 159 years ago when you think about everybody in the, the, well, actually I I learned recently on Juneteenth, I was thinking that was the time when everyone was, you know, um, enslavement was abolished for everyone. And I recently found out that that's not true. There were still other people who were in, enslaved after that, but that's another story. The thing that I'm wondering for you, since you grew up in this sort of class system, like that town over there, we kind of looked down on those people. What was your first sort of awareness for you around race and racism? Because I don't believe that the tearing down of the statue was your first experience. (laughs) It certainly wasn't. That was very recent. Um, So, yeah, it's very interesting to try to reach back into my my past because it's quite a long time ago now. Um, So racism, I think that my first awareness of racism was um, that a, a black family moved into my housing estate which was, um, it was a new housing state. And my father um, did not know how to cope with that at all. It was like something that was so shocking to him. And I don't know where this, this came from. I never really spoke to him about, you know, where all his racist views came from, but he, he, told us that um, these people were bad, that they were, you know, 
criminals, and, and it's just based on the fact that they were black. Um, and that they were very different from us and had very different values and were going to be very harmful to anything that you know we had a high value on. Um, and and how it actually, I'm going to share this little story because it's coming up, is um, there was, so I lived near a wood and I loved to go in the wood as a small child and there was a squirrel's nest in a tree. And my father told me that, so if baby squirrels, you know, what could be cuter to a small kid? And my father told me that this man who had moved into the area was going to kill these because that's how he was. You know, he was going to kill them with a stick and it was going to be horrible. Now, why he, why he believed that and why he decided to tell me, I don't know. But inside of me, something didn't quite fit. The, the girl in the, of the family was in my school and it didn't kind of gel with what my dad was telling me. So it made me start to feel um, that I didn't know, you know, I, my experience was one thing and my, my father was telling me something else. And so I think that that was the beginning of me going into um, probably a lifelong process of, it, of, of questioning, okay, well, what is this all about and where do I fit in? Mm. So dare I ask then, and it, and it may or may not be relevant for us to talk about, but you kind of threw in, in your conversation there as well, I ran off to London. Yeah. And uh is there anything that you would share about that that's relevant for this this particular show that we're talking about the ways in which people grow up and their experiences and then listening to what you're saying about your dad because clearly when you went to london it was a very different experience mm. Mm. um so well i i knew i had to you know go and see what the real world was like because I didn't feel that I lived in in a real world um, and London was scary and exciting um, so I'm not I'm, I'm not quite sure what you want to know about this no 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 it's, it's it's fine but since you threw it in there I didn't know whether there was some connection or something that you wanted to share about why you chose to go to London and it seems like you wanted to go to London for a broader experience than what you had just in your town so you began to realize and I know that when you and I talked um beforehand that you also talked about books that you were beginning to read that opened you up a little bit more to say wait a minute the world is kind of different than what I'm experiencing here and even though you had a privileged life the world was different yeah. Oh. Yes. So um, one of the books that I read, because I was, you know, I couldn't stop reading. I couldn't stop buying books with my little bit of pocket money. And I found in my local bookstore, and it's incredulous now that they have this book. It was Black Like Me. And mm-hmm. I bought it. Now, I don't, maybe it came out of that, you know, questioning from that experience of the family and my father. But I wanted to buy this book and I read it and I was so shocked by what I read. And I remember waving it at my parents and saying, can you believe this? You know, just because of the color of your skin, you're treated so differently. And, and they, they didn't really want to know. Um, but for me, it, it had, I think that was really the beginning of, 
of a much bigger awareness and also the value of learning from books because that was something that was very accessible as and when I got to London I have to share this with you I lived in a part of London called Brixton um, and they had an amazing library public library and in that library they had there was penguin um, African writers series and so I was very curious about this so I started to read these books um, novels by key writers you know mm. that, and and they I just devoured them as much as I could just learning you know different stories different nuances different just different experiences some were in colonialism some were not um they were just so incredibly important to me and that's just from one other example of of how i feel um there's such an opportunity for us available to to challenge our own preconceptions even mm. if it's just through the amazing wealth of writing that's around well, when we come back, uh, Dr. Allison, I really I want to jump in a little bit uh, more deeply around issues of, uh, you know, your experience really trying to engage in this work of dismantling racism. But really, I want to, uh, you know, that you you had to kind of disentangle yourself from your upbringing. But then what has the journey been like even trying to move into this area? And how do we detangle ourselves from what we've grown up with, with colonialism, with, you know, growing up with privilege? Because it hits us even when we're not thinking about it, right? Like those, those of us who are privileged from different ways, right? I'm, I may be privileged different than, differently than you. But as it relates to race, how, how do you confront it, deal with it? How do you get yourself to move forward? Those are some of the things that we want to tackle. When we come back, we're going to take a, dis, uh, a quick break. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. 
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with my guest today, Dr. Allison Palmer, who is from, uh, well, who lives in France right now. She is from England. But, you know, before the break, we were talking about your upbringing a bit and your move from um, uh, your hometown to London and how things just kind of open up for you. Talk to me a little bit about how you have engaged in the work of dismantling racism. And maybe uh, let's talk about what some of the challenges have been. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think, um, I actually think that it's, the process is always ongoing and changing for all of us, okay? And I think when I, when I got to London in my 20s and early 30s before my kids were born, things seemed to be really, clear cut you know this was a racist injustice race racially injustice and this was not and so you know let's protest about this and um you know let's go and do the vigil outside south africa house against apartheid you can see it went back quite a long way and let's do all these things that seem very when when you're young they just seem okay and do and go and do this because you've got this very sort of activated clear-cut way of looking at things perhaps and and I'm really going to just speak for myself as I've got older and I've understood the the complexities more and how absolutely ingrained it was and still is because then I didn't have that awareness so looking back I was just thinking about this today so when I was going on marches and arguing with people all over the place there were a few things going on there. One was that I wasn't actually engaging in any dialogue, really. It was just my point of view. And so that, or even though I felt fueled by some righteousness in there, I wasn't aware that, in fact, me just going in somewhere and saying, this is right and this is wrong, that's me just being part of the system again and imposing my own solution on things. I didn't have that sort of awareness and I did not have the awareness of how, like I said, how ingrained racism is throughout the whole organization of everything, the whole history that we have when we look back and how history is taught and what's left out of history and the beliefs that we have. Um, I really thought, okay, if we change that law, then things will change, you know, everything will change. And of course, you know, we know that's not the case. Um, The consequence of of understanding more about the complexities, I think had quite a lot, quite a big effect upon me in that it made me feel like I don't know how to engage. I Mm. don't know what to do. And Mm -hmm. certainly when I moved from London, where 
where I was much more um, on an everyday um, basis. I was much more, you know, fighting the fight, we can say, in my everyday life. But when I moved to France, I lived very rurally. Um, it's, uh, France is another, it has another um, way of organizing and denying its racism. So for me, that was something, again, to, to try to understand. Um, and so I, I want to just ask you to pause just for a second because you say a lot of, of, of uh, in, and I just want our, our our listeners to be able to soak in what you're saying because you're saying a lot of important uh, pieces here. And one, I, I'm drawn to your your discussion about how I'm in there marching. I'm marching, and I think this is the solution. This one thing is the solution. But it's not. It's more complex than that. And so this really speaks to particularly for those people who were marching in 2020, who were out there and they were so upset about police brutality. And that's what they focused on. Right. But the, the system is more um, uh, racist than a police system and not every police uh or policemen or organization, whatever, is not a racist system or, well, it's built on a system of racism, but not every individual is there actively practicing being racist. So I, I just want to acknowledge that. But it also, in what you're saying, is that it takes more than just the marching. It takes the deeper understanding of how insidious racism is. But what I also hear, or at least maybe it's my own hearing because of the work that I do, is that there's a need to know more and then to do more. You see, you can go out there and you can march and it could be a one-time thing. There will be people 20 years from now telling their children, I marched during a Black Lives Matter movement. Because do you know how many people who will say to me they've marched with Dr. King or they were out there marching because of civil rights stuff? That's great. If you have made it, then, your practice to figure out how you continue to dismantle racism. And so I really appreciate you addressing this issue of, wait a minute, it's more complex than that. And secondly, the, the other thing is, is that there's also a need for you to at least listen and have a dialogue with the other side. You see, oftentimes people don't want to have a dialogue they only want their way of thinking. And if you don't have a dialogue, you can't possibly understand what that other person is going through, what they are even bringing into the conversation, right? Because we all have our own personal histories that we have to disentangle. And then we have the history that we're born with in whatever country or, or and even just in the world, right? So I appreciate you sharing the marching piece. And what I wonder is, you know, you've just now transitioned then from moving from there to France and, and, and that setting is very different. So are you finding it more challenging to engage in the work of dismantling racism now that you've, again, now moved out of, out of a place that was really culturally diverse to a place that's now back to being more of sameness? Yeah, for sure. I really have. Um, and it's a question that is there in front of me all the time. 
you know, if I'm, and, and this is a really important thing because it raises the question, if I'm not doing anything, am I being complicit? If I'm sitting in my wondering about what would be appropriate or exactly how I can do things, and I'm just, time is going by year after year, what does that say? Am I then by my, by my silence or by my inaction just inadvertently condoning the existing paradigms that we're, that we're all living in? And well, can I, can I just speak to that for a minute? Because I think it does, right? And, and, and here's how I would explain it. Uh, Beverly Daniel Tatum who wrote the book, uh, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, talks about in her book being on this moving walkway when you're in the airport and that you can either stand to the right and allow other people to continue to go by and they're going towards this big system of racism. Everybody's going in the same direction. Some people are standing still going in it and some people are moving towards it. But she also says, or you could be the person who's going to turn around and buck the system and you're going to be pushing up against something because she says that it really has to be an active choice to really engage in this work. And so to me, when you're just when you're standing still or if you're going ahead fully into it, but not changing any of the behaviors, we are perpetuating a system of racism. Now, I do believe, though. You said something that was really critical, and that is thinking about how to engage in this work. We should always think about what steps we need to take. I call it our sacred intelligence, right? At that going inward to kind of figure out what is my next move. But while you're trying to figure out what your next move is going to be, we can also do the little things in our communities. We can have the conversations with other people from um, our community or even within our families so that even though it may feel like we're sitting still, we actually are disrupting a system. And that's what I think is important for people to know is because you don't have to be out here marching or going in to change a law to do the work of dismantling racism. But I believe that, and I would love for you, I know we do have to take a quick break, but if you could just, um, if you could speak to, in addition to the contemplation piece, like this idea of complacency, I know we have to take a quick break, but I want you to, to, to kind of speak to what is your thinking around, you know, white liberals and complacency with this work? Right, love to speak about that. Well, I guess that means you're. you're, uh, We'll 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 speak about it after we come back uh, from (laughs) the break. And I wanted you to kind of chime in, but I think your idea is a better one. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay. Hey, everybody! It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. 
In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc you're listening to talk radio nyc at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day back with my guest today, Dr. Allison Palmer, and we have been talking about colonialism and how racism is really just ingrained in our society. So before the break, I was asking you to think about and to talk about uh, really white liberalism and complacency. How are you finding that to, to show up and has it shown up in your life on a personal level? Yeah, um, I think that this is a really big issue, to be honest. Um, I was thinking, I have been really thinking about it because when I was, I, when I was in my early 20s and I lived in London and I was really sort of really embracing the women's movement and we had, I joined a women's consciousness raising group. And um, we got together every week and we discussed, you know, what was going on in the world or in London or for us personally, all about raising our consciousness as women and what that meant to us. And it was very, very powerful. And I have been reflecting upon this, that I have never, ever come across anything that is similar amongst uh, any of my friends um, that is about raising consciousness about racism and race. Never, ever. Okay? I studied things at university, but never just as a way of us coming together to actually talk about these issues. And the truth is, I've been reflecting upon what this might be like, because I think white liberal feminists and I'm going to just really, I really, I only want to talk about my own perspective because I don't really know if it's the same for others. I'm assuming that it probably is. But we kind of think that we've done a lot of work and that we are not racist or we don't want to be or we are for racism. And um, we challenge it whenever it comes up in our existence. The reality is that we don't actually explore how we are how deeply the racism has, is affecting us as human beings um, 
we we just make this assumption and so we never we never talk about it we never ever talk about it amongst ourselves so if there was a consciousness raising group that you know women organized that that was to actually explore this being very vulnerable and being very willing to take off the layers because i think we've buried it very deeply inside and to the extent that actually I feel that it's so harmful to us all as individuals. Um, and, and we have learned through the centuries to, to not address it as white women. And even as white liberal women, we have learned not to address it. And we've squashed it down. And the pain, I believe, of that as human beings it's almost like a scream that hasn't come out. And it's almost like it's so frightening about mm. what that might mean to explore that, that I think we continue to pretend that we've got it all handled. And there's just but, but it sounds like a perfect group for you. So why haven't you started this group? I, I mean, it's, thought about it, yeah. Yes, I mean, it sounds like it's that it would be something that's critical. So I know, Allison, and I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about this. I know that you do do a lot of work around bringing out and amplifying the voice of women. Yeah. And you do, I mean, obviously, if you've had me a guest on your summit, you are dealing with racism on some level. Mm-hmm. And so um, have you found that in your wrestling, with your own wrestle, because this is really about your own inner work that we're talking about here, right? Just as it is for all of us. We all need to do our inner work because that translates into the outer world from my perspective. So have you found then that even though you haven't developed this racial consciousness group, that the work that you're doing with women to elevate that platform have you found that you've been able to really at least have an offering for dismantling racism? I feel to some extent, I, to some extent, yes. And there's much more work to be done in this field. And in fact, I am um, in discussion with somebody else, another speaker on my summit, who, and we're exploring whether we can create something to actually, you know, take this further together. Um, but but there there is so much work to be done in this field, and it and and I think that it's you see what I think that it needs from my perspective is it needs this environment that feels very safe so that people can start to come out from under wherever they we've been hiding and mm-hmm. start to to really um be more humble in this process to be open to explore to listen and to contribute and to be open to see where these kind of conversations go and, and not go in with um with an agenda and not go in with that, uh, I'm going to come out as this perfect person, because we know nobody is. But also, like you said right at the very beginning, to, to go in um, very aware of our, of our spiritual dimension, and that we are 
you know, we are all on this planet together and, you know, there's, there's pain for everybody whilst we are continuing to, to perpetuate racism. There is pain for everyone. And so I feel that there's a great opportunity again for us to start exploring what that really means for us. And, and I think you're saying something critical, though, in terms of there being pain for everyone, because most often, I don't think that white people connect that pain. Because they just see it as, well, that's really not my issue and I can avoid it. So what would you say, what would be the one or two things that you would identify as a white woman would be the pain that you experience as a result of racism? I would say one is knowing that I am contributing, that actually my very existence is due to centuries of racism. That is one massive pain, okay? That is like something that is, that is just shocking. It's totally shocking on a daily basis. Um, mm. Another one is just, you know, if we're thinking about how do we make transformation in the world, how do we actually bring about a world that we really like, would like to live in, and you said be the change we want to, we want to see in the world. Um, how do we, we, we is, how can we actually um, expect that or anticipate it to come about if we are not contributing to the dismantling of, of things that we feel are, are um, that should need to be dismantled. Yeah. And so while we're doing that, we know, while we're not doing that, we know that we're actually contributing to not just perpetuating what we've got now, the pains of everyday life right now, and the, uh, and the, um, the separation, I feel, the distancing, the fear that we set up through distancing, through othering. Mm -hmm. um, we're cre creating a future that is not the future that we want. And so this, I feel, is another massive pain that everybody is experiencing. Looking forward and thinking, you know, I feel a bit hopeless in this or helpless. And how do I let me explore this i think this is the thing let let me acknowledge that i feel this helplessness at this current moment and so let me then explore what this means and how i can actually feel into my own contribution however even if it's small or huge you know what can i do so I really appreciate those two things that you're saying. And I think most people have to be in a place of consciousness to feel that we are um, near the end of our show. And I want to invite you. Could you tell us the name of your summit that you have coming up and when that summit will be so that people can be on the lookout for it? Yeah, the summit is it's got a working title at the moment. Crohn's, Hags and Elder Wise Women of Power. Um, it's coming out in September the 21st. So, you know, you can find out about that. But I've also, there was also the Transformation Summit, which was, um, you know, you were in that as well. And actually, I don't know if, if I can offer to the readers, I've selected four videos from that 
for your listeners if um if that's appropriate for sure them. sure tell tell them how they can get them okay so it's um fullcirclewomen.com forward slash tellin for videos that's it ah all right so if you actually type that into the chat we'll make sure that we have that and if anyone wants to get in touch with me i would love for you to do that dr allison please um make sure um i just want to thank you for being on the show today and for sharing with us your experience. I want to thank my listeners today for being here. I do want to remind you that on July 27th, I'm offering a free webinar on how to recognize and respond to racism. And you can find out more about that at sacredintelligence.com, as well as finding out more information in general about the work that I offer. Please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. podcast 
Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.